When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The Art of Charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome, guys and gals, to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and personalities to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have a lot of the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great stuff that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. And if you like what you hear on the show, come hang out with us on the blog. We get really in-depth on some of these topics, and you can further engage with the AOC team there as well. Or if you're new to the show and you want to find out more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, you can go to the website and we'll email you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language and nonverbal communication, dating and attraction, persuasion, business networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a whole lot more. We've got our live programs running every week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you want to learn and grow. We're sold out a few months in advance, so if you're thinking about it a little bit, get in touch ASAP by phone or email me at jordan at theartofcharm.com. Get some info from us now so you can plan ahead. Looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with Dr. Rick Hansen. This guy is awesome. We're gonna talk about brain science and how it relates to happiness. Your brain is actually Velcro for the bad and Teflon for the good. We're gonna talk about why that is, the evolutionary psychology behind it, and of course, how you can change it, how mindfulness is the key to those changes to rewiring your brain, and how to register beneficial experiences for a dozen seconds or so to start rewiring your brain. So a habit that you can build that will start to rewire your brain really easy, almost effortlessly, throughout your day, and from state to trait, in other words, encoding good experiences by focusing on them to rewire your brain. So there's a whole lot of really, really good stuff in here. The brain science is solid. Dr. Rick Hansen is a really great guy and a great guest to have. So enjoy this one with Dr. Rick Hansen. Yeah, so tell us what you do in one sentence. Yeah, I'm a neuropsychologist, an author, and I'm especially interested in how to turn everyday experiences into lasting inner resources woven into your own brain. I have a question about the term neuropsychologist, because if you're dealing with psychology, aren't you always dealing with neurons and brains? You would totally think so. But most psychologists uh, think about the mind 
as if it sort of is lifted off from its animal basis, you know? And they know vaguely that there's got to be some hardware underneath all that software, but they don't take it into account. Uh, someone who's a neuropsychologist thinks about the mind in a way from the bottom up. And for example, thinks about the impact of the fact that each one of us has a certain lizard, mouse, and monkey inside right. our skull, right? The remnants of evolution over 600 million years of building a brain. And a neuropsychologist also thinks about, as I think a lot about, damn, why is it so easy to learn from painful negative experiences and overlearn from them for the rest of your life and be trapped in that? And why does it take so long for someone, let's say, to start feeling naturally confident again, you know, yeah, uh, or feel cared about or feel of worth? So that's my particular focus, you know, how to overcome the negativity bias, how to, you know, we can talk about it more, of course. And how to just take moment, everyday experiences, 5, 10, 20 seconds at a time to get those neurons firing together in the right way so they wire together in the right way as well. Okay, so it's almost like the biology of the brain as it intersects with the psychology part. Yeah, it's a little bit like you could drive a car if you're utterly clueless about how the machinery actually works. But when you know a little bit about, whoa, gas... I need some of that stuff. Or, wow, that's that's how a brake pad works. So that funny sound I hear is telling me something. You know, when you know a little bit more about how or your computer works or your toaster oven works, you can operate it a lot more effectively. You don't have to be a brain scientist, but you can be skillful from the inside out. And I do find also that when people realize that their experiences are actually changing the structure of their nervous system, they become much more motivated to not just marinate in the crud of negative self-criticism, worry, uh, resentments about other people, stuff like that, because they're changing their brain for the worse. Stress is really bad for long-term health, let alone happiness and successful relationships, for example. Of course, yeah. I mean, everybody, and you're probably talking about stress at a deeper level, but even at sort of the shallowest level, at least I should say I can identify with when I'm stressed, I'm... I'm not exactly, let's look on the bright side of this. I'm more like, I can't believe that guy drove like that. And it's like, who cares? It was like 20 minutes ago. You know, what do you, what's the real issue here? Oh, That's I'm right. closing on a house and I'm going on a vacation and my kid did something crappy and my dog puked this morning. And I don't know why, so I'm worried about him. It has nothing to do with any of that. And then, of course, over time, I've actually got a blood pressure monitor and I measure my blood pressure all the time. And when I feel like, even if I see something in my inbox and it's like from our lawyer and I haven't read it yet, my blood pressure goes up like 10 BPM, right? And yep. that's just not good for your organs or anything. So I can see how latent psychological stress would just be disastrous for your health. And, and that's not news to anybody, of course. That's right. And when we're irritated or frazzled or exasperated or anxious or we feel hurt or we're disappointed, you know, you go out with some with, a, with someone, let's say, let's say you go out with a woman and you know, it just doesn't go very well and you walk away and you just feel kind of discounted, dismissed by her, you know, you're not worthy, what have you, and you feel bad about it. All that releases the same stress hormones and drives other processes in the physical body that evolve to enable our ancestors to run away from saber-toothed tigers. So when I talk about stress from a neuropsychological perspective, uh, it's also an experience of feeling upset irritated. And we have a brain that's designed through its negativity bias to learn super fast 
from disappointing, upsetting, embarrassing, humiliating, you know, inadequacy creating, loneliness creating experiences. And unfortunately, we have a brain that is very slow. It's kind of dumb about learning from positive experiences when someone liked us or we were successful or we um, said something clever and witty and everybody laughed at it. You know, that stuff tends to whoop, wash right through the brain. I say we've got a brain that's like Velcro for the bad, but Teflon for the good. And so I'm really interested in how to turn that around. With just a little knowledge about your own personal neural hardware. That's really interesting. I want to, I think that bears repeating. Your brain is like Velcro for the bad and Teflon for the good. So in other words, when somebody dings your car in the parking lot, you stew over it for three days. When somebody says, hey, Rick, your book is now in its, what is it, like a 25th language for Buddha's brain. You wrote Buddha's brain, it's in 25th. And you're like, cool, little dopamine rush, and you forgot about it by dinner time, right? Let's say you, uh, still in the back of your mind, is the impact of feeling, let's say, socially awkward in high school. That's still in your head 20, 30 years later, uh, or 10 or 15. On the other hand, there you are at work, and some attractive person smiles at you. Well, that's nice. Whoop, in and out. Doesn't seem to have much lasting impact. And that made a lot of sense when our ancestors were, you know, fighting and surviving and struggling back in the Stone Age and then even before that. But today, it's kind of like a universal learning disability. You know, it's well intended, but it tends to make us suffer a lot more than we need to, which is not good for how we feel and also not good for long-term health. And it also makes it hard to develop, you know, what I would call a confident brain. Interesting. Yeah, that a confident brain. What do you mean by that and why is that the case? Yeah, I mean a brain, first of all, that is resilient and knows that it's resilient from the inside out. So things happen and they're unpleasant. We feel them. I'm not talking about positive thinking here. I don't believe in positive thinking. You know, I believe in realistic thinking. You want to see the whole mosaic of reality. But you basically can bounce back and move forward from things that are hard. So building up resilience over time. And there are things to do to do that. Second, uh, mindfulness. If you're not aware of what you're experiencing inside and you're not really aware of the outer world, of course you're not going to have confidence because you're not tuned into what's really, really going on. And then third thing I would just say is to repeatedly take in the good, I call it, repeatedly technical language, deliberately internalize beneficial experiences so that you gradually over time, based on the saying of what's called experience-dependent neuroplasticity, fancy language alert, uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. So by repeatedly extending your beneficial experiences, regular mild ones in everyday life that are useful to you, you gradually hardwire uh, these critical uh, inner strengths, mental resources into yourself so that increasingly you feel confident instead of insecure. You feel uh, strong instead of anxious. You know, you feel grateful instead of kind of despairing and depressed. And any single time you take in the good, you know, any single time you use my methods to really help your good experiences land and sink in, it's not going to be a transformative white light moment. I'm a very realistic work ethic, you know, blue collar work ethic kind of guy. You got to do the work, but it's enjoyable work half a dozen times a day. 
to let your uh, beneficial experiences really land, especially the ones that relate to what you're working on inside yourself. If you're working on, for example, building a confident brain, then when you have those moments with other people, especially high value moments, high impact moments, let's say you're trying to date and you have those moments with women where you feel liked or because they do like you or they do find you appealing. It doesn't mean they necessarily want to marry you and run away to the Bahamas with you. But yeah, that's good. You know, you're on at least the third rung of the ladder and it feels good. Don't waste those moments. You know, let them sink in, protect them, stay with them rather than do what most people routinely do, which is to quickly move on to the next thing or, you know, say yes, but inside their own head or not even notice them in the first place when there's actually a factual uh, based opportunity to have a critically important experience for yourself. Perfect. So I totally understand where mindfulness comes into play, because if it's not, your default programming is ignore, do the Teflon for the good and the Velcro for the bad thing. But if yeah. you were a little more mindful, you go, wow, I just won $5 on my scratch off thing or whatever it is people are doing. <laughs> or my book just got published in another language and that's great. Or, you know, somebody just wrote me a piece of fan mail that I like. You can go, I should let that sort of define more of my morning than the fact I got a parking ticket three days ago and it was 40 bucks, right? Oh, exactly. And if you think about it, just think about a typical day. You get up, you, you move through your day, you start encountering other people. So in my larger framework, you know, which is based on how your brain evolved through its essentially its lizard, mouse and monkey stages, you know, reptilian brainstem, mammalian subcortex, primate human cortex, lizard, mouse and monkey. That has to do with how the brain goes about meeting our basic needs. We have three basic needs, safety, satisfaction, and connection. Almost everything you can think of falls into one of those three buckets. And in terms of connection, you know, which is what basically we're talking about here, um, how to, you know, build up resources inside so you can actually be more successful in connecting with other people and connecting with the kind of people and in the kind of ways that you really, really want to do that. Okay. So in terms of that, let's say you go through your day looking for little jewels of connection, little opportunities that are real where, you know, something real has happened that can build up a sense of feeling cared about by other people, feeling attractive, feeling uh, respected, feeling resilient, feeling like, you know, you are a catch, right? How do you build up that sense? Well, look for opportunities to have that experience, right? And little ones. So you walk through your day, you know, you make eye contact with some, let's say a woman walking down the street. It's a little moment. It's nice. There's a little connection there. You feel connected, you feel validated, you don't feel scorned. Don't waste it. Stay with it, open to it, receive it. Maybe you have some friends, you know, you're hanging with them and they like you. They think you're a good guy. Don't waste that. Stay with it. Feel it. Let it sink in. Open to it in your body. The longer those neurons are firing together, the more they're going to be wiring together. Deep down in the basement of the brain is pretty mechanistic, which I find really, really helpful. You don't have to do some kind of you know, or have some white light experience, just stay with it a dozen seconds in a row. It's going to naturally start encoding and getting wired into your body. And I've had the experience many, many times with people and I've run a, I created a training on this and we ran a study on it through UC Berkeley and we got very positive results. The people quite quickly start experiencing something different is happening 
when they just take half a dozen or a dozen times a day, usually less than half a minute at a time, to really register beneficial experiences and to stay with them, you know, a dozen seconds or so, so they can really, really sink in. What makes it cool is that these experiences are real in your everyday life, you know? It's not like, oh, Angelina Jolie has got to send me a text saying she wants my body. <laughs> you know, they don't have to be like that. They're, you know, you're with someone and they, they include you. They think you're cool or, you know, your best friend's wife just really from her heart. She looks at you and you, and you know, she's telling the truth when she says, dude, you're fine as is. Or let's say you worry about something. Maybe you're going bald, you know, and she looks at you and she says, buddy, nobody cares. Women don't care about that stuff. They just don't. Instead of having a brush off yourself, like, you know, Teflon, right? Yeah. Don't waste that. And I got to say, just to wrap here, I see all kinds of people. It's so interesting. They want to get good at lots of stuff. Okay. They want to get good at operating Excel or their, you know, Snapchat account or what have you, but they don't take on getting good at getting good. They don't take on how do you change your brain and therefore your life for the better over time. How do you get, how do you learn how to learn? You know, cause that's what we all want to do. We're all developing, but we rarely spend a minute thinking about, wow, how does development actually occur? And that's the secret sauce, meta learn, you know, learning right. how to learn. That's the X factor where suddenly every day is full of little real opportunities to turbocharge and steepen your learning curve, you know, as you go through life. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. 
Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Now back to Rick Hansen. This makes a lot of sense. And of course, it's why bad habits are so easy because people who, say, start smoking to get a little dopamine rush, they'll definitely take that many breaks per day and counting to build that habit. But we don't take the habit of going oh, my boss just said he liked my report. I'm gonna sit down in my office, not check my email, not send a text to a bunch of people, not jump on the next call, but sit down and just enjoy that for like 30 seconds. Yes, you totally got it. That's exactly right. And it, you know, at a larger level, we could step back and there's something poignant about that, almost as a kind of look at our culture, especially in the Western world, especially in America. It's like we're driven to uh, have various positive experiences. Okay, there's a place for that. But when we have them, we don't savor them. We don't take them in. We tend to not dwell upon them for 10, 20, 30 seconds in a row. We rush on to the next thing, you know, kind of greedily or anxiously. It's sad. You know, here we are, the richest nation on earth, etc. You know, and I know a lot of people who are quite affluent, all their needs are met, and in their core, they're quite unhappy. I, I totally understand that. And it, just from a common sense perspective, taking out all of your fancy degrees and everything in all, your, in all these subjects, honestly, if you ask me about yesterday, I'll probably remember three problems that I had that I maybe had to solve or mm-hmm. that are still unsolved. And mm-hmm. the reason is because I thought about those things for a few minutes. There's probably other reasons, like the stress attached to it and blah, blah, blah. But if I sat down and thought about good things for a while, I'm totally going to test this. If I sat down and thought about good things for a couple of minutes, not even necessarily consecutively, I'd probably remember those things too. So then if you ask me about my day tomorrow, I might say, well, I did this really great interview. I signed closing papers for my house because I actually did. And I had a good Chipotle bowl, right? Or whatever. And that would be something I would remember, maybe to be fair, in addition to things that stressed me out during the day. But at least I wouldn't only remember that, uh, you know, I stubbed my toe on the corner of the bed and I dropped my water filter on the ground and had to throw it away. You know, like those are the things that I remember right now. I think, like you said, if we just sort of wire those neurons together, wrap them together a little bit tighter by spending that extra 30 seconds doing so, then we start to remember things. Why don't you correct me on the science here? Would then I start to look back and say, last week was really good. Last month was really good. All these good things happened. Last year was really good. All these good things happened. Because I feel like when I ask my friends, 
what did you do this year? And I send people messages on their birthday, for example. They're like, I got married. Or they're like, it was fun. I went on vacation. But they literally can't remember anything else that was significant the whole year, which is, of course, impossible. Because if I ask you what you did yesterday, you could remember two or three things, good or bad, that happened during the day. And people have the same number of things for the whole year. Right. That's great. Well, two things, okay. The first is that most of the opportunities that we have in going through a single day, like today, most of those opportunities in terms of growing and changing for the better, mm-hmm. right? becoming more confident, building that confident brain, for example, most of those opportunities are going to be based on beneficial experiences you're already having, not ones that you deliberately create, like, for example, reminiscing about the good things that happened yesterday or thinking of deliberately thinking of things to be grateful for. There's a place for creating beneficial experiences, but usually where the opportunity lives is just noticing beneficial experiences you're already having. So that's the first thing I want to say. Right. The second thing is to distinguish between conscious and unconscious processes. And what I mean by that, not going into the twilight zone here, is that there's a place for what are called recollections or what's technically called explicit memory. So for example, the example you use would be uh, an instance of that in which you are deliberately calling up recollections, let's say, of good things that happened yesterday or over the previous year. There's a place for that. But mostly where the action is in what it feels like to be Rick or what it feels to, to be like Jordan or Sally or whoever, most of where the action is is in terms of what's called implicit memory or basically unconscious processes, the underlying uh, collection of expectations we have, uh, assumptions we have about other people, the way we interpret things, our perspectives on things, and our underlying basis of mood, what it really feels like inside to be ourselves, and also our capabilities. You know, what can we muster uh, that we've learned or acquired to, to deal with life, including, you know, social things and so forth. So while I think that it's important to register, you know, the conscious recollection of, oh, that was a nice moment with that hot dog vendor, actually what's more impactful over the long term is to really register in your body that sense, I'm going to make up a little story here, of what it felt like when that hot dog vendor was a jerk and tried to cheat you and people were watching. And instead of doing what you did in seventh grade or, you know, what you felt like doing in the moment, which is to kind of, you know, crumble and feel inadequate and unmanly deep down, instead of doing that, you stood up to that hot dog vendor and you spoke up and you insisted on getting the correct change. And, you know, you walked away and it felt good inside yourself, right? Registering that sense in your body of feeling strong, and manly, and warrior-like in a healthy way. You didn't go ballistic, you know, you didn't yeah. hit him on the head with a brick, okay, <laughs> and so forth. Um, but to really take in the feeling of it in the body, that's actually going to have more impact on you, building up, let's say, a confident brain than the explicit conscious recollection of that time you stood up to the hot dog vendor. I wanted to clarify something really quick. Are you imagining different outcomes from a situation or are you, maybe that was a little bit confusing. I understood that you're focusing on good outcomes, but was that you rewiring a bad outcome that like maybe the hot dog vendor was a jerk and you just took it and you felt stupid and so you reimagine it? Or is this something that you said, 
you wanna try to actively discard those and focus on the time when it actually went right in real life. I'm talking about being in real time with your own experience. Okay. And looking for opportunities in real time in your experience to take in resources for yourself, to build muscles inside yourself. The neural net worth that you're talking about. Yeah, in your neural net worth, growing neural net worth, exactly. And to use my made up hot dog vendor story, uh, what I mean is that first I want to distinguish between the recollection of the memory consciously of the time you stood up to the hot dog vendor. That's worth a little bit. But I'm really talking about the implicit memory in your body and in your emotions and kind of in your belly and bones is how it actually feels. You're really taking your, you're opening to the experience and you're really taking it in of what it felt like in your body to be strong and confident and assertive and proud uh, in how you dealt with the vendor. So that's what I'm really focusing on in real time, uh, making the most out of that, ex the experiences we're actually having in real time. Like I'm, I'm having a good experience here talking with you, looking at your face and your cool leather jacket. And uh, I think it's leather, yeah. purple leather. It's cool. And, you know, feeling like, yeah, this guy, this celebrity guy, you know, Jordan Harbinger, we're connecting, we're doing a good job here. You know, that's an opportunity for me and you actually as well yeah. in real time to register that experience. Yeah, there's some value at the end of the day. There's quite a lot of value actually looking back on the day and pulling up two, three episodes. Uh, you really want to kind of rewind in the, in the memory box. You want to rerun that loop again. And that's good. You know, rerunning that loop is going to get those neurons firing again. And therefore you can deepen and, you know, the, and reinforce the emotional body learning. From that experience, for sure, the thing to do is just in the flow of your day, man, when you're having an opportunity to take in key resource experiences that you know are high value for you, you know, they're really what you long for and you want to grow, like feeling more assertive, more attractive, more confident, more like a catch, more worthwhile in your bones or more skillful, just registering what it feels like to navigate a conversation with somebody in a more skillful way. Man, every day has half a dozen at least opportunities like that. Don't waste them. Excellent. Yeah, I, I definitely can see why this is almost like a, it's almost like a brain disease that everyone has, almost everyone anyway, has wrong with them, right? I mean, it seems very unusual to, uh, to know people that always focus on the positive or let that sink in. It's a habit that they've formed clearly and is not the default for most people. Can we use something similar, the same type of mindfulness to develop things like courage, motivation, calm, confidence? Yeah, and when I say positive, I, I use that word occasionally, but I'm a little leery of it because it's so easy to make it sound like, oh yeah, man, smell the flowers. Now, there's nothing wrong with smelling the flowers, right? Especially if you like their smell. But a lot, exactly what I'm saying, when you have a moment of courage, if you think about it, how do you change for the better? How does that actually happen? Well, in terms of the brain, it's a two-stage process that goes from state to trait. In other words, you have to have an experience in the first place. We don't have brains or technology these days that's like iPods or like, you know, Neo in the Matrix where you plug a cable in and suddenly you know Kung Fu, right? No, we have to have an experience in the first place is beneficial. But then really important, we need to install that activated experience in the brain or it's only momentarily beneficial or pleasant. 
it has no zero, no lasting value if we don't encode it in some way as a lasting change in neural structure or function. So what I'm talking about here is the fundamental technology deep in yourself of changing yourself for the better over time. And most of the experiences that we are going to wire into ourselves, we're going to, you know, suck them in and make them part of ourselves. They're usually mildly pleasant, but they're richer than that. They're, like you say, they're a moment of courage. They're a moment of connection. They're a moment of accomplishment. They're a moment of getting through a tough workout and knowing that you can survive the pain, you know, of that last rep. You know, it's a moment of registering that, you know, this kind of person even though she's really attractive, is never going to be the kind of person that's going to really meet your needs deep down long-term, right? Any kind of learning. It's really helping learning land. And I, the way I kind of think about it is, like, what's the rate of return on your savings account or investment on any day, right? And the difference between, you know, 5% and 4% or 10% and 9% is not very much on a given day, but gradually accumulating over time and compounding, that little extra is going to make a big difference over time. I would say to people or ask people is, what's your average learning rate per day from your ordinary beneficial experiences? How many of them actually sink in to make you a little bit happier, a little bit wiser, a little bit tougher, and a little bit more loving at the end of the day than you were at the start of the day? And that is, to me, a profoundly powerful question for anyone, but especially for people who are wanting to grow and develop, and especially for people who, as many people do these days, who feel kind of pushed around by massive external forces, the economy, politics, whatever, and also kind of pushed around by the reactions still inside their own head. When you start doing what I'm describing, you know, you kind of go through your day like you got a vacuum cleaner, hoovering up those ordinary little jewels, those ordinary little opportunities for learning and growth. Uh, it changes how you see your life entirely. Instead of feeling, you know, like a nail kind of pushed on by powerful forces, you start feeling like a hammer from the inside out, inside your own head, you know, changing yourself for the better uh, every day. And so are you measuring this somehow? Like, are you looking at... Neurologically? Yeah, but for example, when you say how many of these positive experiences are really sinking in, I don't know. I mean... Do you tally them? Are you journaling this? Are you like, do you have some sort of mystical device we need to talk about? I mean, how are, how do you know? Yeah, that's right. And I'm selling for only $99. Right. And I said, no, I'm joking. Not happening at all. That's a great question. When people first start to shift in the way I'm describing, what really helps is to have a, like a little checklist, you know, and just say to yourself, okay, break up your day if you want. Keep it simple into thirds, morning, afternoon, evening. Every morning, every afternoon, every evening, I'm going to take 10, 20, 30 seconds to really register a useful moment, okay? And maybe I especially do that for key experiences that grow psychological resources inside, like confidence, that I'm especially interested in or feeling cared about by attractive people of the opposite sex, if let's say I'm heterosexual, whatever that might be. And then you can make a little chart if you want, or just kind of know, all right, that was the one, you know, blah, blah. It helps to make it kind of deliberate in the beginning. But with very quickly, what's nice about this approach is that it's very motivating because these experiences are usually rewarding. They feel good. They feel good because they are good. 
they are good for us and their enjoyability is usually a marker that they're actually good for us as well. So you could, that's really a good thing to do. Um, when in studies, uh, and you know, that I've run and, and similar kinds of things, you know, you can do before and after, uh, you can have people say, okay, for the next 30 days, let's say I'm going to do this daily practice that takes less than five minutes a day, a less time usually than brushing your teeth altogether. I'm going to do that. And then at the end of the 30 days, let's say, you know, people fill out a questionnaire and they go, oh, wow, I'm actually measurably fill in the blank, more grateful, uh, more compassionate for other people. I'm, I feel stronger. I feel tougher. I feel more confident. I have a better, I have more self-esteem, more self-worth. In other measures that are more hardwired with humans, you've got to be kind of careful because you can't do invasive assessment of the brain. And uh, our current technologies are pretty gross. But obviously, as you said earlier about psychologists versus neuropsychologists, evidence of mental change is evidence of neural change. Otherwise, we're kind of left with magic, right? And so if uh, people are actually experiencing after 10 or 30 days of what I'm talking about, that they feel different inside. They do feel more confident. They do feel, they bounce back faster, faster from social rejection or disappointment. Uh, they have a background feeling of worth and, and happiness that they haven't had before. If you're getting that kind of mental change, there must also be an underlying neural change as well. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, back to it. Excellent. That makes a lot of sense, right? Because we're talking about essentially there's a physiology that has to follow or come first. Mm-hmm that the brain is just a really complex machine at that point, right? It's like a semiconductor, people think, well, this is the brain of the computer, yes, but there's a lot of ones and zeros in there and little magnetic currents and things like that. Those have to change before your behavior will. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what's interesting is that in, um, you know, the like early part of the 20th century, you know, Freud, Jung, those early people, they were way ahead of the bench scientists in terms of thinking about and figuring out stuff that actually helped people and made a difference. These days, the hardcore neuroscientists are way ahead of the psychotherapists and other self-help, let's say, broadly defined human potential type teachers. They are doing stuff now, sometimes in invasive animal studies, you know, whatever the ethics of that may be, where they are demonstrating down at the cellular, molecular level, genetic level, sweeping changes in the underlying hardware based on the experiences that these animals are having, including human animals as well, you know, in various kinds of studies on human beings, they're seeing structural changes within minutes inside, you know, the human nervous system based on the experiences that our people are running through their nervous system. And especially based on people doing the kind of things I'm talking about, which make common sense. You know, the longer you stay with the experience, the more you open it to it in your body, the more intense it is, the more you see how it's personally relevant the more you uh, deliberately kind of have a sense of absorbing it, receiving it, letting yourself actually give over to it and be changed a little bit for the better by it, mo better, 
right? I grew yeah. up in LA, <laughs> Mo Betta, you know, more episodes of learning in a day, you know, listening to you is an opportunity for people, not just this program, any program to, you know, actually when they have a beneficial experience, including sometimes just getting a new good idea, you know, or realizing that something is actually really true or forming conviction about something. That's an experience to have a thought, to have a belief. That's an experience. But especially when people are having experiences in their bodies that are emotional or motivational, you know, they have traction, you know, they're real down in there. You're having those experiences. Don't waste them on your brain. And when people do that again and again and again, you know, they start feeling really different as they go through life. Right, okay, that's really interesting. I I have a random question actually. Is there any gender difference between this? Because I feel like maybe it's just my circle of of female friends, but they're so good at being positive and the guys in my circle are far less able seemingly or, or willing to do that. Is that anything that you've studied at all or is it just my weird anecdotal evidence? I think that's really interesting, Jordan, because as a rule, uh, women report much more on average, obviously we're generalizing, much more mental health issues, including garden variety, and yet still very consequential, anxiety and depression. So the fact that your circle, uh, the women in it, are more oriented around you know, positive, pleasurable, beneficial experiences, they're more optimistic maybe, more kind of you know, seeing the glass half full rather than half empty, that is interesting. I do wonder a little bit about what's called social desirability. Women are supposed to yes. be kind of, you know, upbeat and chirpy. Guys are more allowed to be kind of grim, stoic, warrior-like, you know, sure. people. I mean, I, I look at, I think it's interesting to look at ads in which men and women are portrayed and just take ordinary ads, you know, sunglasses, uh, cars, uh, life. The guy usually looks pretty, usually kind of grim and studly. Right. And the woman looks friendly and sociable and kind of ornamental. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, there's a lot of gender, you know, socialization around that. Yeah, I think part of it has to do with what I look for in yeah. female friends. Because, you know, my guy friends are a mixed bag, of course. But I don't want people generally in my life who are going to be negative because there's already enough stress around me. Not like, I'm positive, man, and everybody else has to be too. It's just like, no, I get enough crap, you know, just dealing yeah. with running a business, et cetera, uh, that I don't want to then bring more of that in. So there's an element of filtering there, and I don't think any reasonable person can argue they know a statistically significant portion of the uh, <laughs> population. So I think you're totally right. You know, when I think about the opportunity for guys, one thing I do like, and because I'm a guy as well, is what I'm describing is that number one, it's private. This internal process of A, notice good facts, B, let yourself have a good experience as a result, and C, take in that good experience. Don't waste it on your brain. You know, that process is internal. No one needs to know that that's what you're doing in that business meeting or walking down the street or while you're, you know, going out for a jog. The other thing about it is that it it really makes you an agent. It's an active process I'm describing. It's not passive. You're and so instead of being kind of at effect, you're at cause when you do it. And the third thing that I I think relates to, and again, men tend to like that that quality of it's called agency or being agentic, where you're a hammer instead of a nail, including inside your head, right? And yeah. then third, one thing I'll, also I think guys like about this is that it's about getting competent. It's about being skillful. This is a skill set, right? Like Kegels. No one has to know, and it's a skill. 
yeah, do you want to be skillful with your own thoughts and feelings? Uh, do you want to be skillful in how you regulate attention? Do you want to, do you want to be, this goes to another aspect of it, autonomy. Do you want to be in charge of your own mental processes or do you just want to be, you know, whipped along by them in the unfolding stream of consciousness? Uh, me, I'm really stubborn and determined and independent and autonomous. And, you know, I grew up in a very kind of loving, but hyper-controlling, invasive, judgmental family. No way, Jose. I'm, you know, I want to be in charge of my own mental processes and learn how to do that skillfully over time. One thing we had talked about pre-show is linking positive and negative material and eventually replacing yeah. bad with good. How do we do that? Because I'm with you on having a positive experience, looking for the good facts, turning that into an experience instead of just an occurrence that happens outside right. of us. Like you say, don't waste it on your brain. You know, bathe in it, absorb it, let it absorb into you. But this seems to be like the next step to all of that. I think that's great. And again, just to kind of underline what I've said, when we talk about positive experiences, sure, some of them are like, oh man, how good it feels to sit down, you know, to, uh, I don't know what, have a chocolate chip cookie or something like that. But I'm also really talking about any opportunity for learning. If you ask yourself as a person, you know, what am I trying to learn these days? How am I trying to grow? How am I trying to develop? What, if it were more present in my mind these days, would, wow, really help? When you have experiences of that, whatever it is you're trying to grow, uh, when you have experiences of that or supporting factors, those are high value. You know, they should be surrounded with flashing lights for the next 10, 20 seconds to really stay with it and help it, you know, encode in your own brain. Okay. That said, let's say that you're trying to deal with some kind of negative material, maybe lack of confidence, maybe feeling insecure, maybe still feeling sad, you know, about something that's happened as an adult or maybe left over, who knows, from childhood. The linking process, which I did not invent, but what I have done is try to think about it and, and write about it very pragmatically and analytically down to the bare bones that this is what you do. This is the takeaway, brother, you know, is what you do is you're aware of two things at once. For example, you're aware of something painful or negative or difficult. All right, but it's off to the side of awareness and front and center on the stage of awareness under the spotlight. What you're mostly aware of is the antidote, usually kind of the opposite to that negative material. So for example, let's say you're me and you grew up as this kind of dorky kid who was really young, skipped a grade, and I have a really late birthday. And so I felt awkward also athletically, right? But actually I've realized as an adult that I'm pretty good. And I've also been interested in stuff that's hardcore like rock climbing. So let's say... I'm having an experience with my, you know, male climbing partners where we're doing something hard and I'm successful at it. I'm feeling that in my male mammal body. I'm moving up that rock and my buddies are like, whoa, that was hard, Rick. You did great on that. You know, I'm feeling it. I could, if I wanted to be aware of the experience of that in real time or recollecting it either way, but let's say in real time, I'm feeling that kind of sense of confidence, virility, if you will, you know, like I'm not a little wimpy loser kid person, you know, deep down inside. And I'm feeling this good stuff off to the side. I'm pulling up some of those old feelings of being picked last for baseball in fourth grade mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, feeling kind of ashamed or inadequate standing next to these studly guys in the showers in high school, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever. 
or like uh, being nervous around, you know, kind of scary, macho, aggressive warrior male types, let's say. I'm feeling that negative material off to the side of awareness while front and center in technicolor, you know, live and strong and powerful is this positive experience. That's the natural antidote to the negative. And, you know, in the moment, I'm doing it 10, 20, 5, 10, 20, 30 seconds in a row. It's not a big deal. But with repetition, research shows that you gradually, by, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together, you're naturally associating the positive, the beneficial to the harmful, to the negative. And with repetition, that beneficial material through linking will gradually contextualize and soothe and ease and even eventually erase that old negative material. You will remember the fact that you are, in my case, a scrawny, bespectacled, dorky, brainy, you know, nerdy kid. But in fourth grade, let's say, you remember that fact. But the charge on it or the way it kind of haunts you or makes you feel uncomfortable in different situations or sort of wears or nags away unconsciously as well, that will be erased. And I find this process to finish of this linking. If you know what you're trying to heal and you know what its natural antidote is, your personal vitamin C, you know, that's the antidote to that scurvy. When you know that, then life becomes this fantastic opportunity to look for your medicine, to look for your vitamin C. And when you have the chance to experience it authentically, often mildly, still stay with that experience. And if you want, link it to that negative material. Excellent. Thank you so much for this. This has been excellent. And the heel steps are invaluable. I think if there's anything we miss, is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to convey? Otherwise, we'll wrap and we'll, of course, link to your book and all your resources in the show notes as well. The last thing I would just say is that if you think about it, our natural state as big primates is to feel fundamentally peaceful, contented, and loving in terms of our core needs for safety, satisfaction, and connection. That's our home base. And it's really good to know that that's our home base. We just need to come home again. The problem is we get driven away from home and we start developing more and more a sense of inner homelessness, but lots and lots of experiences you know, sort of fear and anger related to safety, frustration, disappointment, failure related to satisfaction, and lots of little experiences of hurt, inadequacy, loneliness, envy, resentment, and so forth in terms of connection. And we, you know, we've got a brain that overlearns from those negative experiences, which gradually drags us into what I call the red zone as sort of, you know, the new normal as it were. And it's great for people to realize that, you know, Mother Nature, deep down in our biology is calling us home continually. She wants us to repeatedly have, you know, in authentic ways, experiences broadly defined of peace, contentment, and love in terms of meeting our uh, core needs for safety, satisfaction, and connection. And when people are having these experiences, ordinary sense of calm, relaxation, strength, and safety, you know, safety needs, ordinary experiences of goal attainment, goal accomplishment, little things in terms of satisfaction, ordinary experiences of pleasure, gratitude, gladness, hey, take them in. And when you're having ordinary experiences of connection, feeling valued, feeling liked, respected, appreciated, even loved, you know, in terms of connection needs, really, really take them in. So more and more, you start resting in an unconditional sense of peace, contentment, love, grounded in your own home base, so that even when the world is flashing red, you keep your cool, 
you stay strong and you continue to feel really good about yourself. And I love that fact. I love that that's our natural resting state to which Mother Nature is calling us home. Thank you so much for this. This has been excellent. And where can people find more from you? Oh, Jordan, it's a pleasure to talk with you. You're consummate pro and you deserve all the success, really, that you're having. And I'm a right speech kind of guy, so I mean what I say. Uh, RickHanson.net is the best place to find my stuff. Uh, Tons of freely offered resources, lots and lots of material there. RickHanson, S-O-N. Dot net, and then people can take it from there. Of course, we'll link that in the show notes, and I th- thank you very much for the compliment. I'm just gonna take that in for a second after the show so Good. that I remember it tomorrow and for the yeah. rest of my life. And I really appreciate it, this is really solid. Super interesting stuff, really love this this topic, really love the brain science, really love Rick Hansen as a guest, what a good guy. Velcro for the bad and Teflon for the good, that's not the brain you want, you want kind of the reverse, and you can rewire it through mindfulness and through the heal techniques that we talked about here on the show, I love that. I love building those habits that make you happier, it almost involves no time, it's literally a few minutes a day, it's just the, the habit. You should set a, like maybe an iPhone alarm or something like that. So I hope you guys enjoyed this one, the show is a fanarchy. It's run by you. We rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know, Jordan at theartofcharm.com. If you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Dr. Rick Hansen on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as other resources mentioned on the show, including his book, Buddha Brain, and other resources and other things he's written because this guy's prolific, 25 languages. You could read that book in 25 languages. Speaking of expanding your brain, I'm also on Twitter. I post a lot of stuff there that doesn't make it to the show. I'm at the Art of Charm on Twitter. And boot camp details for our live programs at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Remember, we're sold out a few months in advance. So if you're thinking about it a little bit, get in touch ASAP, get some info from us so you can plan ahead. Of course, on the website, we have the blog, we have unreleased episodes from the iTunes feed, and of course, you should subscribe in iTunes and write us a nice review, I'll love you forever, or you can find us in our Android or iPhone apps. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of The Art of Charm. Now go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 